Welcome to another episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. I'm your host, Aaron Clark. Today, we're once again joined by Dorothy Jaworski, Penn Community Bank Director of Treasury and Risk Management, to get her thoughts on the state of the economy and her forecast on what comes next. After the show is over, be sure to check out the show notes and links to resources at pencommunitybank.com slash podcast. All right, Dorothy Jaworski, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Good to be here. Always excited to have you on for our our regular economic updates and certainly a lot to cover, as always, uh, Mm -hmm. during our conversations. Um, But since this is our first conversation of 2022, we're on 2023. Let's look Mm -hmm. back at 2022 and kind of give a a recap, Um, especially since now we know there's maybe been some revisions on quarter four's economic numbers. What's where did we leave 2022? Well, 2022, I think, like most people, um, I would prefer to forget it. Um, we had a lot of, you know, volatility, to say the least. Um, GDP growth, you know, we started off the year, if everybody recalls, with two negative quarters of growth. So there was the great debate as to whether that's a recession or not. Um, and then we were followed by the last two quarters of the year were positive. So we ended up okay. Um, for the whole year. Uh, The Fed started raising rates. They started their great fight against inflation. And they started in March of 22. Even even though they knew about inflation in the summer of 21, they waited that long. So I think that exasperated, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, effects of the bond market, et cetera. Um, The Fed raised rates of 425 basis points from March to December which is incredible. The largest increase in a year prior to that was 1994 when the Fed raised rates 300. Hmm. And I thought that was a lot. (laughs) So 425, you know, 425 basis points is a huge amount. The, um, as I mentioned, inflation, that peaked at 9% in June, the CPI, you know, and the Fed was worried about that. And of course, all of us were worried too. Stocks took a big hit with the Dow down 9%. S&P was down almost 20%. And NASDAQ was down a whopping 33% for the whole year, which is just incredible. Um, but the one thing that was kind of different in 2022, bonds were down very large too. And that's because the Fed was raising rates bond prices were falling at the same time that stock prices were falling. Generally, one will offset the other. That's why people mix their portfolios. But bonds were down. If you look at most of the aggregate measures, they're down about 13% last year. You know, that's total return. That's price change minus the interest. So it was price change is a little bit larger than that. GDP growth, I mentioned, picked up in the final two quarters. We were up Um, about an average of 3% in the second half of the year. And I attribute a lot of that to inventory building. So companies have to work off those inventories. If they do, that's great. If they don't, they're going to have to lower prices to get rid of it. So, you know, it it could be good or bad. Um, We were seeing a little bit of weakness in December in terms of um, spending, And that certainly reversed. You mentioned revised data. We got revised data for December and also January. 
January was very strong for the consumer. Um, consumer spending was up 1.8%. Retail sales were up 3% just in one month, which was incredible. There's been no explanation for why it was that high. Maybe it was just the hangover from the holidays. I don't know. But uh, the unemployment report was also very strong. The unemployment rate fell down to 3.4% in January. That's like a 50-year low. And the number of jobs created was over 500,000, which is very unusual for a January when you figure most of the seasonal workers for the holidays are being let go you know, or they're ending their commitments. So, you know, it was a very strong, um, you know, report. This all made people really be afraid it's gonna just continue to raise rates endlessly. At some point they have to stop, but you know, they will respond to this strong data if it's gonna prove to be inflationary. So they'll probably watch the next, you know, report or two on the CPI to see, you know, what's happening there in terms of the trend. Well, speaking of the next report or two, you know, we're, we're well into quarter one now. We're well into 2023. Um, you kind of went over some of the some of those data points. What What's the the economic feeling right now uh, for the year beginning? And, and where is it kind of guiding some of those decision makers? Yeah, um, you know, we started we're starting 2023. You know, a lot of us are surprised that we started so strong in January because we saw weakness both in November and December, but it really didn't carry through in, into January. So we're starting off a little stronger than we expected. The Fed raised rates February 1st, you know, for the, you know, thousandth time or whatever the number is. <laughs> so they're, they're now up to 450 basis points of tightening in total. And they're expected to go to 5%, you know, at this point. You know, that's at least what the market is expecting. Consumers spent a lot in January. And, you know, the Fed's going to be upset because they want to slow demand, not right. allow it to be so strong. Um, stocks and bonds both started out January, both looking pretty good. And then by February, it all turned around. Stocks were down. They have fallen um, probably about 5% so far in February. And bonds are up 50 to 60 basis points in February alone. So, you know, that a terrible result. So both bonds and stocks are getting hit at the same time again. The Fed, you know, I mentioned raise rates. They're expected to meet when they meet in March. They're expected to raise another 25 basis points. They back in 2022, there were four times when they raised them 0.75 percent at a time. You know, that was a huge increase all at once. The 0.25 is kind of their standard normal increase. So, you know, I, I believe by them reducing down to that amount, they're close to the end. I can't tell you when the end will be, but I think they're close to the end. But, you know, as strong as the um, consumer looks in January, some businesses are struggling. I've seen a lot of layoff announcements, especially technology, Trump Manufacturing, you know, a lot of those reports are, you know, very weak when you look at them. Housing is still in bad shape. Every once in a while we'll see a spurt, but, you know, overall it's very, very weak. Um, mortgage rates are approaching 7% again, and that really slowed housing mid year last year, then it recovered some. 
So we're seeing those effects. And, you know, weakness is evident in most of the data, especially business surveys, such as the, um, the ISM, which is the Institute of Supply Manufacturers, um, and the Philly Fed, which they survey, you know, companies in this area, both right. manufacturers and service companies. Those um, surveys have been very weak recently. So just kind of focusing on the Fed here, you know, we've talked about the Fed's rate hikes, kind of that's the card they had to play in the economic situation we found ourselves in, right? Um, you, you talk about the historic basis point increases, um, kind of waning off now a little bit. Um, what do you think kind of overall the impact has been? Has has this regimen been successful for the Fed? Has it accomplished what they set it out to do? Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball to determine to see what uh, what the Fed will do moving forward. But w- what's been the success of this uh, tactic? Yeah, well, anytime there's inflation, the Fed, everyone expects the Fed to raise rates. The question is, how much do they raise them? So, you know, I believe they've raised them you know, sufficiently already. Um, some people say they have more to go. You know, you, you really don't know till it's over. Because like you said, there's no crystal ball to say, here's exactly when inflation's gonna come down. So, you know, the Fed raised rates by a historic amount in that, you know, in the single year. You know, and that aside, back in the 1980s, the Fed was raising rates, you know, interest rates got up in the into the teens. And the Fed was raising rates back then, like 400 basis points in a year. But it, you know, proportionate to the level of rates, you know, it was a lot different back then. And the situation was different then. But um, so far this year, um, rates are up, you know, I mentioned 50, 60 basis points. From the end of 2021, when the, you know, the rising rate environment began, the two-year Treasury is up over 400 basis points. I mentioned the Fed has tightened 450 basis points. The 10-year Treasury is up about 240 basis points. And keep in mind, you know, the short-term rates move a lot more than long-term rate. And mortgage rates moved up about 350 basis points. So, you know, that is hurting, you know, the housing market a little bit. But the biggest impacts are, you know, definitely going to be on businesses. Any business with a line of credit where they're paying prime as their interest rate, that's up 450 basis points. It's a lot of interest for, you know, a full year. Um, You know, that's financing for their operations and also buying inventory. So they need to clear the inventory more quickly or maybe not buy as much. You know, it's it's a kind of a catch-22 for them. Um, Housing, I mentioned that, you know, that has suffered. Home prices, they were rising dramatically on a year-over-year basis, you know, as recently as the fall, you know, up 10% year-over-year. Right now, it's a couple percent year-over-year. And new home home prices are actually down almost 1% year-over-year. So, you know, the trend is reversing. Um, You know, there's a lot of inventory on the market for new homes, you know, and builders want to clear that out. So I believe they're cutting prices, giving concessions to cause that. Existing home sales on a year-over-year basis are up about 1.3%, the most recent reading we have. Manufacturing slowed, 
you know, the, the Fed's trying to reduce demand so that it, it's certainly working on the business side for sure. <clears throat> um, you know, there's, but there's still supply chain issues on products like, you know, semiconductor chips for cars. You know, it's still taking, you can order a new car and it might take three months to get come in. You know, my nephew just bought a new Honda, um, you know, and it took him, he just got it in early February and he ordered it around Thanksgiving. So that's, you know, that's a long time to wait. You know, there's also one of the big things that was the price was soaring in, initially in the pandemic was lumber. Now there's sometimes there's shortages. So it's kind of ironic that lumber's back in the news, you know, for a different reason. Um, trucking shipments, I watch that a lot. They have been down five months in a row. So they're delivering less. So that's not a rip-roaring economy to me. That's a weakening economy. Hmm. Pent-up demand, of course, is still there for services. You know, after we came out of the pandemic, people wanted to go back out to eat. They wanted to travel. They wanted to use hotels, go to entertainment, you know, concerts, things like that. And, you know, everybody wants a great vacation. So there's going to be a lot of demand, I believe, for vacation and, you know, entertainment and stuff this summer. So I think that'll keep us, um, you know, keep the economy moving somewhat. Um, one of the impacts is, you know, of the Fed hiking rates, it, you know, is that inflation is actually falling. They have been somewhat successful. Um, they wish it was quicker, but, it, you know, CPI peaked at 9% year over year in June. It's now about 6% year over year. So it's cut down by about a third. And a lot of their, um, you know, the large rate hikes didn't take place till the summer. So with a six to nine month lag, which is normal for Fed activity, um, you know, we may, you know, we may not see that until the next upcoming, you know, quarter or so. And, you know, finally, the Fed, one of the things that I find very interesting and no one watches anymore, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, um, the Fed has been successful at reducing the money supply. So if everybody pulled out their economics textbooks from way back and looked at it, you know, when the Fed's raising rates, money supply will go down. Money supply, if you increase it a lot, it can be inflationary. And that's exactly what happened in 2020 and 2021, that the Fed raised the money supply by, say, 20 percent. It was outrageous amounts. Um, and could, well, contributing to that was our government also doing stimulus and handing money out. Right now, we've had two consecutive months of year-over-year -year declines in the money supply. Hmm. December and January, negative 1.1% and 1.7%, which I just found on the you know system today. These are the only negative monthly prints that I've seen on a year-over-year -year basis going all the way back to 1960, which is as far back as my database goes. Wow. That could not be good. But the Fed has accomplished something. They've reduced that money supply, so now it's, you know, actually declining. So, you know, in, in my mind, it cannot be good. That could be a reason for them to pause and assess what they've done. Pause for a few months. I don't see any harm in doing that, but I, I do believe they have raised rates too much to cause this situation where money supplies down. 
And if you remember what's in money supply, deposits are in money supply. And they are declining banking industry-wide. So the Fed is accomplishing that. Um, You know, money supply, it's naturally going to pull inflation down. If you believe Milton Friedman, if we go back and look in our textbooks, he's mentioned everywhere. He said, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. So, you know, if you increase the money supply, you're going to get inflation. If you reduce the money supply, you'll get deflation, you know, reduced inflation. So, you know, it's very interesting. We're assigning homework to our listeners here. They're they're pulling out economic textbooks as they go. Um, you you mentioned Dorothy, and I know we always touch on this. You mentioned, you know, what databases you're looking at or what indicators you're you're going to to kind of get a sense of where we're at and where we're going. Um, can you give us a snapshot of what our, our leading economic indicators are telling us right now, and, and for folks listening at home, what they should be looking at to to be informed? Yeah. Um, well, I always look at, you know, I have several favorites, like most people do. You get attached to these pieces of data and you wait for them to come out each month or each quarter. But, my, you know, one of my favorite ones is the leading economic indicators and its direction. It comes out on a monthly basis. Its direction points to what the economy is going to be doing six to nine months later. Right now, um, you know, January was negative 0.3 following December was negative 0.8. And it's actually been a negative number for 10 months in a row. So there has um, never been a series of negative prints that have not produced a recession. So if you look back in history at this indicator, you know, so a lot of the signals from these indicators are flashing either really slow growth or outright recession. You, you can never tell till you're there, you know, almost. The um, a, Another one I look at is the leading inflation index. And that has that turned down starting last May. And it's been down most of the months. It did rise up a little bit in January. So, you know, not a lot, but just it ticked up. And, I'm, you know, I was disappointed that the downtrend was broken. But it's still 6% below its peak. So that's a good sign for future inflation. You don't have to look any further than stocks to know what, you know, they think about the future. Stock prices are falling and they're seeing, you know, reduced revenues, maybe tighter profit margins for the different companies. You know, if growth is slowing, that's going to be a natural thing. Um, So, you know, that's one of the trends from, you know, that stocks can really, you know, clue you in on. The um, the yield curve is another one. I look at, you know, I have to work with rates every day, you know, in my job, but I look at the yield curve, not necessarily where the absolute rates are, but what's the difference between the points along the curve. And right now we have what's called an inverted curve where, <clears throat> you know, it's not normal. Short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. Usually it's the exact opposite. And what's happening is, you know, the Fed controls short-term rates. So they're going to be somewhere around the Fed funds rate. And the long-term rates, they move with inflation and everything else. So they believe inflation is not going to be that big of an issue come in a couple of years. If you look at maybe this first year, yes, you know, it could be high. But, you know, five to 10 years out, they don't see it being much more than, say, 3%. 
But the, the curve right now, the difference between the 10 year point and the three month point is negative 0.85. And that's, that's pretty large. Although, you know, some of the um, curve inversions we've seen in the past, if you kind of averaged out maybe the last four of them, it's negative 1.16, I believe, is the average. So it, it can get worse. And, you know, if you think about that, um, banks are funding on the short end and lending longer. So if it becomes too inverted, banks might not want to put assets on under their funding costs. You know, it can create a really terrible environment, you know, for everybody if that happens. But, um, you know, the reason I like the yield curve, I'm watching for inversions. Since 1968, I went back and looked this up. There's been eight inversions of the yield curve and eight recessions followed. Typically, you know, there's going to be a lag. It's anywhere six to 18 months. If it occurred five years later, no, we're not going to count that. But anywhere in that six to 18 month range. Um, also, you can tell what um, most people think about the economy by surveys that come out. And I mentioned Bloomberg before, they do a survey every month that they publish. They're asking about 30 economists throughout the US, you know, what their views are. 61% of them believe we'll have a recession in 2023. So, you know, that's a higher percentage than you want to see. But they collectively, they project an average of 0.5% in GDP this year. So if we have recession and then we have some bounce back in growth to average above zero is probably a good thing. They're not project. That tells me they're not projecting anything horrible, just natural slowdown from the Fed raising rates. And then, you know, I, I personally believe that we'll have a recession. I don't think it'll be monumental unless unless we go into recession and the Fed keeps raising rates or they don't eventually stop and pull them back down. You know, if money supply is continually contracting, that could be a terrible situation. And we don't have any experience with that because I couldn't find any, you know, negatives going back all that time. So, you know, it's going to be a very interesting period. One thing that you mentioned, and, and certainly folks that are out there have kind of seen, whether they're in the market or just kind of operating in their communities, has been the housing market. Um, you, you mentioned kind of where that's been trending due to rates, due to inflation just generally. Um, can you give us any, any insight moving through the rest of 2023 about that housing market? And additionally, you know, other common commodities that people kind of base what they they see the impact of inflation on whether it's gas or home heating oil used cars you mentioned you know uh, semiconductor chips what, what other kind of commodities are, are people seeing and, and what is that showing yeah Aaron, um you know housing it it's probably the most rate sensitive sector that we have in our economy it was the first to react and start to you know existing home sales started to drop right away when the fed started raising rates um, I mentioned earlier that the 30-year mortgage rate went from three and a quarter about the end of 2021 to close to seven. Right now, it's about six and three quarters. Now, if you look at that on a, you know, say someone's purchasing a house and it's a $300,000 mortgage, 
the difference in payment is going to be $640. It's incredible. And that's a, just a month. So that's not even including taxes that might go up, you know, so that's a, that's a real affordability issue for a lot of people. They'll look at that and say, you know, I'm going to just hold off for now. You know, if you can afford it, you know, go ahead because chances are you'll get a chance to refi later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you can't afford that payment right now, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. You know, maybe try to just save more and come up with a bigger down payment. You know, it, it's it's an affordability issue for sure. Um, I mentioned existing home sales. They've been declining for 12 straight months. And it, it's because the Fed's raising rates. New home construction, you know, that that's down right now because builders have excess inventory that I mentioned. And the way to measure inventory is how many months worth of sales are on the market. Um, right now, new homes have about nine and a half months worth of sales on the market. That's a lot. Six is usually a normal economy. Existing home, home inventories, it's 2.9 months, say three months worth of sales. So that's, <clears throat> that's extremely tight. And that's accounting for, there's not a lot of sales because there's not a lot of product on the market, but it's also propping the price up. You know, so I, I, I do believe, I don't think we'll see huge declines in price because that phenomenon is probably going to go on for a while, you know, and it'll keep prices up there, you know. Other commodities you asked about, you know, new, new and used car prices, they're all over the place. They've soared, they've come back down, then they've, you know, gone back up again. You know, it's, it's kind of a function on the new car side as to whether there's any um, supply chain issues, you know. Um, but what's uh, being an impact there, too, is auto. Like, if you do an auto loan to buy a car, that rate is up. Yeah. It was 2% at some point, you know, maybe, you know, used cars might be a little bit more, but new cars, you know, they were zero to two. Now, suddenly they're seven and 8%. Right. You know, there's a couple out there maybe doing a zero, but, you know, it, it's very hard to find and very hard to qualify. So, yeah, that's affecting people as well. You know, so higher rates are, <clears throat> you know, hitting that sector because it's rate sensitive too. Um, the price of oil, the price of oil has been remarkably steady recently. It's really natural gas that's kind of, you know, it's it's a supply demand thing. They thought Europe was going to need a lot of natural gas because Europe was cutting them off. Or uh, not Europe, uh, Russia was cutting them off. So they thought that there was going to be high demand. So everybody was shipping natural gas over to them and they didn't need it because it was a warm winter just like we've experienced here. So you know, that kept natural gas from rising even more, but it's still up 53% year over year, which is incredible. You know, so it, it's gotta be supply type issues. Um, oil has been very steady in a range of about, you know, 75 to $80 a barrel. And if you've noticed gas prices, when you go to the pump, they fall a little, they, you know, go up a little, but they're still in the same range. 350 to 360-ish, you know, maybe even a little less now. So, you know, that's kind of stabilized. And then one thing I wanted to mention too, I put this in my quarterly newsletter, 
The price of eggs is one of the highest prices, price increases I've seen in any commodity. Um, this year it's about 370, I believe, for a, a dozen eggs. It's up 109% year over year. Some of that is just inflation. Some of that is this bird flu that's going around and there's not enough chickens to lay eggs. That's hurting us all because we all have eggs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's always something new, right? We're always, there's always something to talk about for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that you mentioned earlier that kind of that caught my attention here, Dorothy, was talking about a, a historically low unemployment rate but at the same time, we're talking about kind of an inflationary environment. Is the economy really growing? Are we settling down? Um, so, you know, for folks that are out there hearing that and going, all right, well, how do we square this circle? What's what's the workforce participation, hiring wages? Where's the where's the disconnect between those numbers? And, and how do you make sense of what people are seeing and feeling out there about jobs? Yeah. Um well, the job growth, I mentioned January, was surprisingly high. It was over 500,000 new jobs, you know, um, reported in January. And that's a month where usually you see seasonal workers, you know, ending their jobs. Um, at the same time, the unemployment rate fell down to 3.4%, which is the lowest since the late 1960s, you know, 1970. Um, there's only, only, it's a lot of people, 6 million people unemployed. Usually we've seen 10, 12, 15 million unemployed at different times. So right now it's only reported as 6 million people and job openings are at 11 million as reported you know, nationwide. So that's like 1.7 to 1.8 jobs for every unemployed person. Yet employers still report that they have difficulty in hiring people. So, you know, it's a very hard one to figure out. You mentioned the uh, labor force participation rate. January was 62.4%. And, you know, how does that compare? I looked back to right before the pandemic began in 2019, that was 63.2. Hmm. So, you know, it was not a great level then, but, you know, still almost 1% higher. So that's about 2 million people different. You know, two million fewer people working now than right. were back then. You know, so whether it's retirements or they just dropped out of the labor force or, you know, whatever the reason, you know, eventually we will figure out and settle the number. Right now, you can't explain the whole number. It's a little mysterious. I used to call it the MIA, missing in action. Where, where are these people? Right. You know, you always have to wait and get the data and then finally someone figures it out. Um, you know, the Fed was concerned that too low an unemployment rate lead, will lead to wage inflation. And they're right. If it, you know, if it continued on at, you know, it was five to six percent wage inflation back in like 2021. So they mm -hmm. wanted to reduce that back. Um, it's now reported at 4.4 percent. So they have been successful in reducing that much to our chagrin because we're employees that want to see wage growth. But, uh, you know, for the overall economy. <clears throat> and, you know, I was just reading an interesting article that the Fed would like that year over year increase to get down to three and a half. They have a target of 2% on inflation. And they also 
would say that, you know, adding a point and a half for productivity growth that's shared by corporate America adds up to the three and a half percent. That would be a non-inflationary type, you know, level that they'd like to achieve. And they're not that far from there. So that's another hope that maybe they're not going to continue to raise rates forever. Um, you know, the Fed's worrying about the economy being too strong because demand will continue to push prices up if it goes unchecked. But, you know, the rate of 3.4%, they would like to see that in the fours or four and a half or something, you know, not to, you know, see people lose their jobs, but it's a necessary adjustment that the economy has to make. So all these things together, right, all your indicators that you're looking at, kind of the track record of where we've been, certainly the Fed's involvement, the other policy considerations. How does kind of quarter one shake out? How do we move into spring and summer 2023? And what can people kind of expect um, economically? Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned the, you know, the projections that the economists make. For the first quarter, they're projecting anywhere from zero to 0.2. Now, we already saw a strong January, so I think it's going to be more than that. And the Atlanta Fed publishes a projection for the quarter we're in all the time. They think it'll be 2.7%. So it's a real difference between there. I think probably somewhere in the middle, you know, um, because of that strong January. We'll have to see where February comes in. But, you know, from the fourth quarter, if you compare it going into the first quarter, manufacturing's down, inventory building was a lot of the growth in the third and fourth quarters. That may not recur. So, you know, I, I do believe we'll be, you know, probably under 2% this quarter. You know, and it's ter in terms of when is that recession going to come? E eventually it will come. The Fed has raised rates enough. There's enough weakness. They'll raise them more and more and more till they get the recession they want. You know, maybe a downright, you know, decline in in growth for a couple quarters. So this, you know, we're looking at the second half of the year, and that would be in line with, you know, when did all those big rate hikes occur? The last one was November. Six to nine months later, takes us well into the summer to feel those effects. So you know, I think I'd agree with you know the economists. They're looking at maybe about 0.5% growth this whole year. Some downs, some ups, offsetting, you know, it's still positive growth. It's still a win. Um, you know, if they stop raising rates so quickly, we may not even see recession. I hate to say that because I really do think recession's coming from the inverted yield curve and everything else. But, you know, if say the Fed was to say, okay, we stop, we're going to stop raising rates and you know, the battle against inflation is over. Look how it's falling. You know, that can change a lot. You know, but right now, I, I do believe we'll have those couple negative quarters later in the year. And then, you know, a couple positive quarters early. So we can average out to be that 0.5 and not show a down year at all. So that fingers crossed for that kind of scenario. I, the only thing I don't know, I don't know what the harmful effects of the money supply being, you know, growth being negative is going to be. I'll have to pull out my textbook and kind of read up on that <laughs> so for the next time. <laughs>
<laughs> plenty of homework abounds and certainly sounds like one way or the other, a year worth of conversations for us to have um, here at Dorothy. We look forward every time to having you on to kind of break down the economy. Uh, we'll look forward to next time. In the meantime, we'll include in the show notes uh, the link for everyone to sign up for Dorothy's economic newsletter that she referenced, a really great piece of uh, piece of material to kind of make sense of what you're seeing and feeling out there. Um, but as always, Dorothy, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to, uh, to walk us through this. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Mutual Growth, a podcast by Penn Community Bank. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. And as always, keep up with the latest from Penn Community Bank by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For more information about this podcast, links to past episodes, or to learn more about community-first banking, just visit PennCommunityBank.com slash podcast. Mutual Growth is the official podcast of Penn Community Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. It is produced for the benefit of current and prospective customers and partner organizations. This program is provided solely for educational and entertainment purposes. The information contained herein is based on sources believed to be reliable, but is not represented to be complete and its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions, views, and estimates expressed are those of the presenters at the date of production and are subject to change without notice. Please email marketing at pennecommunitybank.com regarding booking or repurposing any part of this podcast.